1: 6:30, Chad. Inside sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on 6:30, Chad.
0: The end zone now, man wide open, touchdown, Ottawa.
2: Evans takes the snap, draws back, pressure's coming now. He dumps it off. It is uh, complete across the 15, close to the 10 yard line, inside the five.
0: Another touchdown for Ottawa. Ah, that was the start to the game on Tuesday, Ottawa leading the Elk's 14-nothing before the game was 5 minutes old. They went on to beat Edmonton 34-24 as the Elk's slipped to 2 and 5 on the season. Ottawa only has two wins as well, but they've both been against the Elks. Quickly, the baseball update. Yankees lead Toronto 3-2 in the sixth. The Red Sox are trailing the Orioles 6-2 in the seventh. So, the, But the Blue Jays need to win. I mean, even if the Red Sox lose, the uh, Blue Jays need to win here. Jaguars leading the Bengals 7-0 early second quarter of Thursday night. Football, you know, operating in the world of sports, you you, you hear the same things over and over again, sometimes from coaches and athletes when it comes to games preparation mentality. And uh, over the years, I've I've come to think, okay, some of that I'm not sure about. But there are some cliches that I I do believe in, that they've they've become cliches because they are true and things generally go that way. And one of those, as I welcome our Elks analyst, Eddie Steele, to the show, is that, Eddie, good teams start games well. Whether it's hockey or football or basketball, you, you you start on time to borrow the Mike Babcock phrase. You you, you set a tone. Uh, you you don't fall behind and and put yourself in a hole that you spend the entire game trying to get out of. And now two games in a row, uh, the Elks have fallen behind. And the the irony in all this is that it was even it happened even quicker against Ottawa than it did against Winnipeg.
1: Yeah, you know what, Reed? I love how you opened with that too, and uh, just the adage of starting fast, or as Mike Babcock says, starting on time, and that's huge in athletics. Is you you want to come out of the gates uh, fast, especially in the game of football, physical, and you want to set the tone early. And the Elks just—they've struggled to do that so often this season. And then you look at the game that just happened, and. You're down fourteen, uh, nothing. You know, after a couple of snaps on offense, and that is not the way you want to start a football game. I, I always go back to Coach Chris Jones because, you know, in all honesty, he's my favorite football coach I've ever had out of all my years—high school, college, pro. I know he's—you know—some people feel a certain way about him, and you know the way he left the, the former Eskimos after we won the Grey Cup, but. He had this saying in that start fast, play fast. And he made sure we always came out of the gates ready to go. And when you come out of the gates with that energy and you're hungry and you start making plays, it's just you feed off of that as a team. And the Elks, they're clearly not doing that. And you're seeing the repercussions of that. And it just – it goes down from every position. It goes down from the head coaches – It goes to the different phases in the game, offense, defense, special teams. And these guys, they just, they don't have the mojo right now. That's for sure. And you can't start fast if you don't have the mojo.
0: My colleague, Rob Brown on the hockey broadcast, he believes when it comes to being prepared for a game, he thinks in terms of like mentally prepared, not strategically prepared, but he says mentally prepared to play. He says that's entirely on the player. If you need to, read the newspaper up until 30 seconds before you're on the ice, then do that. If you need to do jumping jacks and bang your head into a pop machine, you know, I'm being extreme here, but but then but then do that. <laughs> does the same apply in football? Is, is it up to each individual guy to be ready to play? Or because of the, um, you know, all the play calling in football and the fact that you got 50 guys on the team, does the coach have to do more in that situation? How do you look at it?
1: Uh, you know, Rob is pretty correct with that because ultimately the players are the ones who are playing the games as much as the coach can call a good play or have a good scheme. You still have to go out and execute. And just speaking from my personal experience, I always wanted to come out of the game. I, I was always jittery. Most football players, they, uh, you're on the sideline right after the anthem and you're smelling the smell and salts and kind of getting yourself amped up. Everybody's banging their pads with each other. But for me, those first few snaps, I always wanted to come out and just come out and try and establish that physical presence because football is a game where as much as it is a, a physical mano mano game, it's a mental game too. And I never wanted to come out, you know, for lack of a better term, soft and let the offensive lineman feel like, oh, this is going to be a cakewalk on steel all day. I always wanted to be the hammer and bring that. You never want to be the nail in football it's the old hammer and the nail. And I always wanted to come out, be the hammer. And it's funny. I, some of my best plays are early in a game because I'm so amped up and I'm so ready to establish myself in the football game that I want to set that tone. And, you know, some of my best years, obviously, uh, 14 and f- 2014, 2015, uh, when we had some amazing defenses, well I was playing next to Elmondo Siwell Sewell and, uh, we would get each other fired up. We would be feeding off of each other and you could see it in the offensive linemen's eyes when they knew it was going to be a long game because we were just able to tee off on them, set that tone, reestablish the line of scrimmage Meaning We can push them back. Uh, they're not pushing us back and we're making tackles for losses, getting after the quarterback. And that was my favorite thing about coming out fast and hard is just kind of establishing to the offensive lineman that this is going to be a long game. You're not going to have a cakewalk on me, and there's not going to be any free plays on Eddie Steele.
0: All right, so let's touch on a couple other things here with with the Elks. You know, 2-5, and um, a couple wins behind BC for third, but just a beast of a schedule. Still Winnipeg two more times, Sask twice. Their only losses are to Winnipeg. And then they got, they got, they got uh, Hamilton, and they got the three games in a week all on the road at the end of the season. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I hate to be pessimistic, and I'm, a, I'm the type of person, once the game starts and it's 0-0 zero, zero and you get into the energy of the, of the game, I tend to believe anything is possible. But sitting here um, over a week until the next game, I, I'm like, how, how the heck do they get to the six or seven wins they're going to need to get into the postseason? Incredibly tough.
1: Yeah, it's it's incredible as an understatement. It's I don't think it's doable, you know, in all honesty. And I'm a I'm a pretty optimistic guy myself, too, especially when you're in the boots of a player and, uh, you know, you think you can go out there and win every game. But these guys have to look at themselves in the mirror and you got Winnipeg a home and home against Winnipeg, best team in the league who has been playing pretty lights out football all season in all phases of the game. Good luck winning those games. Uh, Just especially, I don't know what the situation with Trevor Harris is. Maybe he'll come back. But even if he does come back, he's going to have missed a couple of games. That timing isn't going to be there. And if he doesn't play, well, Winnipeg is licking their chops, looking at a rookie quarterback. I I don't see him having too much success against Winnipeg. You know, uh, Taylor Cornelius, he's good for getting the odd big play, odd long bomb that gives the Elks some opportunity for points. But that's not a sustainable offense. And then to end the season with three and seven game or three and seven days. Good luck with that. That's unprecedented in football. Uh, and if the Elks don't win any games up until that point, or even if they win one or two, um, have fun playing three games and seven days at that point, the guys I believe are just going to be wanting to collect the check and get out of here for the year.
0: Look, uh, a lot of, a lot of criticism in a lot of different areas for sure. Um, uh, Brock Sunderland's the GM of the team. Y- yesterday, the the team put out what I thought was a bit of a curious statement that he is not vaccinated because of medical reasons. Fair enough, I, I, and I also know that was um, in reaction to something Farhan Lalji tweeted. So if they felt they needed to clarify that, fine. Um, vaccinated or unvaccinated, I, I think we have to, you know, look at th- the teams he's put together over the last four years, and it is interesting to me, Eddie the number of X double E players taking shots at Sunderland on social media. Now you you always have to take that with a grain of salt. Cause sometimes players who have been cut or traded might be a little bitter and are looking for things to lash out at, but it seems to be popping up week after week. And I'm going to tell you this Brock, you know, and I guess Elizondo's involved as well, but Kenny Stafford was let go. He looked pretty good for Ottawa. Sean Lemon was let go. I think is he leading the league in stats for Calgary. I know Calgary's not having a great year, um, but there's a couple guys who are still like they're pretty good players, and they could have been on the Elks.
1: Yeah, you know what? Uh, in you you mentioned that it's guys who might be feeling some resentment or some hostility towards, <clears throat> excuse me, towards Brock uh, because they cut him. But lots of the guys that I've encountered and spoken with, and you're seeing kind of spelled off on social media, etc., they're guys who Brock never even had an affiliation with. I never had an affiliation with Brock. I, you know, I had a couple conversations at the end when I was contemplating retirement and, you know, wasn't a fan of how those conversations went, but I'm taking my ego out of this. Forget Eddie Steele and how my career unfolded. I was happily retired at that point. You know, in all honesty, Reed, I was trying to just chase a quick, a quick signing bonus, you know, from the Elks and call it a day. But, uh, Lots of guys aren't too happy with how he conducts business. And there's a certain standard in pro sports in which the way you carry yourself. And I've heard a ton of stories from former players, guys he's dealt with, where it just, it's gone quite sour. And that's the general manager. And yeah, I understand you have a job as a general manager. I get the, the business side of it but at the same time like you got it's your job to establish a culture and set the tone for the team for the coach to go out and coach these guys appropriately and brock hasn't done that and you know one thing that i really really don't like is how he handled uh, Dwayne mandruziak Uh, the guy was going into his 50th year with the elks and i've played in a couple golf tournaments with him i've golfed with him individually this year And we've had conversations one-on-ones just about how the whole thing unfolded. And it's, it's ugly, you know, it's not pretty. And is that how you treat the longest serving member of the organization? Someone who's beloved in the community and who's kidding who he's an equipment manager. It's not like he's out there playing football games and winning or losing your games. You know, that's, that's a a key piece to the franchise, but he's not a player. So why do you got to, you know, unceremonious unceremoniously uh, dismiss them the way you did. And uh, there's just been other instances that I continue to hear and, and the timing of this whole statement from the team of him being unvaccinated. Why now? Why? Uh-huh. <laughs> like, what's the point of it coming out now? Like there, there's gotta be an agenda there. And it just left me scratching my head because you're coming off a, a bad loss, a few bad losses And everybody's calling for Brock's head at this point, based off what I see. And now you come out with this statement on top of how the whole COVID situation with the team, it just makes no sense. And yeah, I don't know if you're trying to cover someone's butt or trying to make Brock look a a certain way in a certain light, but in my opinion, it just looks even worse as an organization.
0: Eddie, before I let you go, um, you played on the, uh, the double E team that went four and 14. And this year's team, you know, very likely could have a record in that neighborhood, though. It's, I know it's a shorter season. It, I look back on 2013, though. I mean, you guys had some wild finishes and wild attempted comebacks. And I sort of felt like there was optimism. You know, Michael was was becoming a starting quarterback. Uh, and then, you know, the 14 and 15 teams were were quite good. Um, mm hmm. I guess what I'm getting at is, is is I worry that I don't feel that same sense of that, that this year's team is bad, but on the cusp of becoming good. Does, like, does that make sense? And did you feel that in 2013? Like, okay, we got a lousy record, but we're on the way up here.
1: Yeah, you—you know—you actually, you're very correct with that. Reed, uh, in 14, or sorry, in 13, I—it's yeah, a long ways back for me and a lot of football plays to remember. But I believe we lost five games by three points or less that yeah. season. So it's not like we're getting blown out by bottom feeders. You know, we're in games. Caves obviously caught a lot of flack, uh, but he was he was a heck of a coach. You know what I mean? And you talk about a guy who can motivate and get a team ready to play. Cavis Reed was the guy to do it. He had a certain it factor in terms of, you know, hyping guys up and getting you ready to play. So whenever you're losing five games in a season uh, within three points or less, that just goes to show you you're in ball games where the Elks this year, they're not even in ball games. You know what I mean? They had one really good showing where they took it to Calgary on labor day. Yeah. They won in BC and uh, that was a pretty good showing. Trevor played well, but other than that, I mean, that, that's kind of that game in BC. That's what we're expecting him, Trevor. And uh, he hasn't lived up to it. The team has not lived up to it. And I always tell people it starts from the top down way above the coaching staff and again i'm not looking to point fingers at anyone but the reality is you know brock's the one steering the ship and uh where he turns them where he turns the rudder the ship goes and you know he he does have to be accountable you put this roster together and you know you've conducted yourself in a certain way so you got to be accountable to it
0: Eddie, I always appreciate your perspective. Uh, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully there are some brighter days ahead here, but a tough one for the Elks the other night. Hang in there, buddy. We'll talk to you soon, okay?
3: Yeah, we'll talk soon, Rick. Eddie Steele.
0: Telling you what he thinks about the Edmonton Elks. It's Inside Sports on Chet.
2: Hi, I'm Connor McDavid from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 6:30 Chet. Well, thank you,
0: number 97. Will you play tomorrow in Everett, Washington against the Seattle Kraken Morning Skate at 10? So we will have the information at that point. Really good to have Eddie Steele on the uh, show. Some pretty blunt analysis with what he thinks ails the uh, Edmonton Elks who don't play again until next Friday. Oilers and Kraken tomorrow, 6 o'clock face-off show.
1: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to say for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us.
3: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
1: Here
0: on 630 Chad. the game is at 8. The Oil Kings season starts tomorrow. Brad Lauer, their head coach, is up next. Thursday night football, two minutes left in the first half. Jacksonville leading Cincy 14-0. Baseball, Yankees lead the Blue Jays 5-2 in the seventh. Orioles up 6-2 on the Red Sox. Oilers tomorrow, our coverage starts at 6 as they are in Everett to play the Seattle Kraken and the Edmonton Oil Kings start the regular season tomorrow. Seven o'clock, Rogers Place against Red Deer. Oil Kings head coach Brad Lauer is on the CertainTeed Hotline, CertainTeed Professional Grade Building Materials. Brad, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Great, thanks. Okay. Opener tomorrow, and I understand you got some interesting roster news this afternoon. What's going on?
2: We did. We did. We got some. We were wondering, uh, you know, if if, – Jake Neighbors or, Gun- or Dylan Gunther are going to be returned to us before before uh, the start of our season and and we just got a call from Phoenix that uh, that Gunner is uh, returning to us uh, hopefully tonight or tomorrow sometime.
0: And you expect him to be able to play tomorrow?
2: Well, we'll see. Uh, you know, I've, I mean, as much as I want to put him in the lineup, um, I'm going to monitor and see how his travel goes and just making sure he's he's rested and. It's the right thing to do. So um, if he gets in here tonight and gets a good rest and, and uh, feels good, he'll play tomorrow. If it's going to be a long day for him, he'll probably probably miss the first game, but he'll be ready to go the second game. Okay.
0: Well, that's exciting. Uh, yes, <laughs> yes a, it is. <laughs> it's very exciting. And, and an exciting season for, for the Oil Kings overall because, again, the expectations are really high. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I know that can uh, – not always be great perhaps because uh, one or two losses can send media guys like me with their hair on fire and all that kind of stuff but <laughs> but I still I still think as a coach you'd, you'd sooner have high expectations and have the guys deal with that as opposed to the the other end of the spectrum
2: yeah no I mean obviously you know it's a credit to our to our kids here the last couple of years some of them we've uh, had for three years but um, you know, when we first got here, we weren't really recognized or we were recognized, but not for the right reasons. Um, you know, a credit to our kids. they've really bought into to our systems and what we want to do here and, and and you know when when they have a group of kids that, that want to do it and work and um, you know we've we've been able to win some hockey games and and created a little bit of a buzz for ourselves and uh, you know, it's, it's good. I mean, that, that's, 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 that's what you want. That's what you want as a coach. Um, you know, and the expectations are great, but at the end of the day, those expectations are because of what we've done in the past. So now we have to go do something now. And, uh, you know, one thing with our, with our group, it's, they don't look too far down the road. They've always been been the, you know, the game that's right in front of us focused. So, uh, that'll be our main, our main thing, uh, moving forward a lot of, a
0: lot of these guys on this team have been together the last two or three years they, they know each other and they know you, mm-hmm. did that continuity affect the way you ran training capital.
2: Uh, you know, I don't, I don't think it did. I think, you know, one thing, what, what I, what we tried to do, Luke and I, and our staff is, is be a little bit uh, creative and different. What I mean by that is just change things up a little bit. Um, you know, we always do a do a review after every season, kind of see what what we liked and what we didn't like, and what we thought worked and didn't work. And you know, we, there's always you're always looking to improve and do something different. And you know, we changed a few things this year to keep things a little bit fresh for the guys. You're right; some guys have been here for three years, and you know, you want to make sure it's still fresh for them every day. Come to the rink, and it's not just uh, you know I don't want to, you know just going through the motions. So we changed up a few things in camp and, you know, I, you know, I like to keep it fresh for the guys and hopefully keep them uh, focused every day they come here.
0: Yeah. Well, and back to traveling back to playing a full schedule, certainly yeah. uh, we hope so. Uh, the grind is back, right? And and you got to embrace it. I mean, I think there's obviously still a lot of things going on in the world outside of hockey, but yeah, it's it's got to feel a little better to see okay, a full schedule. There's going to be playoffs, all that kind of stuff.
2: Yeah, you mean I, I mean it, it, it's that's you know, a credit to our our league. Our league mandated the vaccination, and whether you agree with it or don't agree with it, um, you know they 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 brought it on. We had uh, everybody's bought it. Everybody accepted it. Um, if they wanted to play hockey, we're all vaccinated. So we're, we're doing our part to be safe as as uh, organizations in our league. And, you know, that's allowing us to play. Uh, this year, obviously, they're still we're still being very cautious of what we want to do and how we want to do things. I mean, um, I don't know what right now. We have our first road trip coming up. We're doing a lot of things just in our hotel as far as eating and stuff like that. Usually we'd be out in restaurants and uh, having team dinners. Um, in restaurants when we go into other towns but right now we're just we're we're trying to be be smart and 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 be careful where we take our players and and what we expose them to on a day to day thing when we're traveling but um you know we are going to be traveling we are going to be staying overnight in hotels and you know it's kind of it feels normal but there's still like you say there's still you still got to be cautious in what you're doing we're still wearing our masks you know we're moving around and doing stuff so um, you know, we'll be cautious what we're doing, but it, it's going to be nice to, to get back and playing and, and, you know, traveling and, and having some fun with, with the guys.
0: And, uh, I mean, you mentioned Gunther off the top. So of all the players who were in NHL camps and what were we up around seven or eight guys.
2: Uh, we, uh, well, we had, we had 10 guys, if you 10, guys. Kick, okay. we had 10 oh. guys at NHL camps. Yeah. Yeah. So only Jake neighbors has not been returned. He's still with the blues. Yeah, Jake is still still with the Blues, and and you know by, by everything we've heard from, he's done an extremely he's played extremely well for them. Um, he's for the most part, I think he's been playing with uh, Shan um, on his line for most of the game. So, you know, credit to Jake, he's really worked hard this this summer, and you know uh, everything we hear, he's 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 done a really good job of you know trying to make the team. And you know, I hope you know it, selfishly, I want him here, but. You know, when I look at what he's doing, I'd like to see him play in the NHL too. But um, right now, he's the only guy that hasn't been returned to us. When
0: players come back from an NHL camp, do you ever notice a change in them? Do they carry themselves differently or, you know, the eye opener about the level? And not that <clears throat> your guys aren't committed and professional, but, yeah, you know, the NHL is a whole different story, right?
2: The sure. The certain- for sure, for sure, Reed. I think the the biggest thing, and I think kids learn this as they come in. Like everyone, even even from junior, you know, when I, I you know, you 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 train. If you're a first year junior, let's say you're 16, and you're training for your first WHL camp. Um, you're training hard in the summer. Well, you think you're training hard, and you probably are training hard. But then all of a sudden, you come to a Western Hockey League training camp, and you go, oh, geez. They really work out they really train hard you get you you know you you get a little eye opener watching watching the veteran guys in our league train and and go through an everyday practice and a workout and then it's no different when they turn when they get an opportunity to go to a pro camp um you know they think they're working they are working hard don't get wrong they are training hard doing their thing in the summer and and that but when you do go to a pro camp and you do see this the the high skilled and players and the, the guys have been in a league for a long time in the NHL. You watch them uh, day to day, what they do to get ready. It, it really opens our, our, you know, the kids eyes to see how, what it takes to play uh, a pro at the pro level. And they learn, they learn an awful lot going to these camps um, and they bring it back to us. and. You know, they talk about in our room how so and so trained and all what they do and how hard it is. And you know, it only helps our group. It trickles down into the group and you know, they put the time in the gym and they keep working hard and it just everybody just feeds off that.
0: Well said. Well, Brad, it's always great having you on the show. Of course, we'll be talking to you and the guys throughout the season. All the best this weekend, man. Thanks, we
2: really appreciate it. Oil
1: Kings
0: home to Red Deer tomorrow at 7 and then in Red Deer Saturday at 7. It's Inside Sports on 630 Chen. Still 5-2 the Yankees leading the Blue Jays in the top of the 8th. It is the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation for her perspective on that. We welcome to Inside Sports the goalkeeper for the University of Alberta Pandas soccer team, Ashley Turner. Hi Ashley, how are you doing? I'm
3: good. How are you?
0: I'm doing very well. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for for coming on to share your story a bit and let us know about some of the things that are happening in your life and uh, and coming up in the Panda soccer game on Saturday. Let's just get the nuts and bolts of you as an athlete. Uh, you you are a goalkeeper in your fifth year at the U of A. When did uh, like are you a lifelong soccer player, lifelong goalkeeper? What was the journey here?
3: You know, lifelong soccer player, definitely started when I was younger, probably doing some sort of 10 soccer or something like that. Um, Probably started getting into goalkeeping when I was quite young, I don't know, maybe like 13, 12, 13 years old, and just found my passion from there, and now I'm here.
0: (laughs) I I always ask soccer goalkeepers this question, like, I'm always kind of like, seriously, have you seen how big the net is? (laughs) Yeah.
3: (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you know what? The net's very big and honestly, I don't really have height on my side either, so I just gotta work a little bit higher harder to get up to the bar there. All
0: right. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. uh, good for good for you for raising <laughs> that for sure. Uh Ashley, you're Métis. Uh you yes. grew up in Edmonton and you know, today is uh, obviously Truth and Reconciliation Day.
1: Yeah.
0: Tell us a little bit about um y- you know what what it's been like for you sort of um doing what you're going to do this weekend and sort of, I guess maybe it's a bit of a personal journey for you learning a lot about yourself and, and, and the history for indigenous and Métis people in the country.
3: Yeah. Well, like this whole journey, I kind of start from, you know, in my youth where like my whole story is about how I grew up in a white settler family uh, we didn't have any Indigenous practices, and honestly, I didn't even find out that I have Indigenous, I am Métis, until probably in my late high school years, until university. Um, I think part of me knew growing up, but I was my family never encouraged me to be part of it. A lot of that has to do with the racism, discrimination environment that too many uh, Indigenous youth have to go through. Um, and so I don't fault anyone in my family for that. It's just how they were raised and they wanted to protect me. However, as I got into university and started exploring that, I just realized that there's actually this community in the university that wants you to embrace it and wants you to fight against this. And so I started to dig a little bit more into my heritage and finding that I am Métis and just, you know, instead of dwelling on, you know, why why didn't I pursue it growing up so dwelling on that I really want to focus on the future and like how can I take steps to recon- uh, reconnection
0: and what's what have you what have you learned has anything really surprised you hurt you enlightened you as you've sort of embraced yeah a little bit more? you
3: know I think the main thing I learned is that it's a process and it's Honestly, it's not simple enough to just say, hey, I'm Métis, and all of a sudden you're Métis. You really have to take these active steps towards it, and it's probably, for me, going to be a lifelong process. It's never going to be easy. I I know I just want to approach with humility and respect um, and just make these steps towards it. And, you know, digging into this history of mine, I've, you know, it's become, it can become a sensitive topic, just even learning about things such as, like, for example, um, a couple of years ago, my mom and I had a very like, long conversation, deep conversation where she opened up to me and told me that her first cousin, so my second cousin, which is the same age as my mom, uh, was actually a victim, um, one of the missing and murdered indigenous women and girls from the Highway of Tears. So just growing up in this white household and you know, learning about this Highway of Tears and just thinking it's something distance that you learn about maybe in your textbook and all of a sudden having a direct blood one generation away was like, whoa, like I have this part of me that is a white settler and this part of me that also has this heritage. And I'm like, you know, like, why can't I bring the two together and why can't I start pursuing this side of me? So it's definitely been a sensitive journey. And but at the same time, I look at it as in like, it's been very empowering uh, to find this side of me and to start pursuing it and doing whatever I can to make these steps towards reconnection
0: yeah good for you ashley turner joining us from the pandas soccer team and you have a match coming up on sunday and oh, and you've organized some stuff for that as well tell us both some of the things that are going to be going on
3: yeah so on october 2nd is our our next home game on saturday we play mount royal university um you know although the national day for truth and reconciliation is today you know of course we don't have games on thursdays so we were like well we're kind of making sort of a tribute game on Saturday towards it and you know we kind of like bounced off around ideas and what we could do and I think the main thing we wanted to focus on um, it was I'm trying to bring in some of the work I've been doing through my, my uh, university athletics board and so one of our main goals here is we're trying to fundraise some money for the ISCA Kids Sport Fund. And the ISCA is the Indigenous Sport Council of Alberta. And so the ISCA and Kids Sport passed up together to create this fund that will help Indigenous youth get into sport, um, which obviously is like, for me, one being Indigenous, but also just for my whole team, a super um, good cause that's near and dear to our hearts because I'm sure all of my fellow pandas can, Attest to the importance of like organized sport in our youth and growing up and how it shaped us into people to like who we are today. And, you know, the vast majority of girls, on my team were very privileged and lucky enough. And I'm lucky enough to be able to have those experiences to get into sport, but that's not the reality for a lot of these marginalized and indigenous youth. So this fund is just something that's absolutely amazing that I Feel very passionate about and so we're wanting to raise a thousand dollars for it because every a benchmark is about every 250 dollars will get one indigenous youth into sport
0: well that's awesome P- plug that again how people can help if they want give the give the coordinates
3: yeah so uh stay tuned go visit our panda soccer instagram account well i think that would be the easiest way to find some links. Okay. um We are, I mean, one thing at the game, if you do want to come support our game, we are doing a raffle there. We've uh, gotten a donor from Western Varieties, which is basically like an indigenous wholesaler for indigenous goods and gifts. Um, They are donating some stuff, so hoping to raise some money for there. Um, We're also doing a mock shootout where people can buy their spot into a penalty shootout for the end of the game um, and raise some money with that. But then, yeah, otherwise, probably the link to find, um, to purchase some raffle tickets and donate in that way would be probably the best option.
0: Well, Ashley, thanks for sharing your story. Obviously, you know, you're you're really committed here. You're really well-spoken and really passionate about it. So thank you for that. And all the best on the field as well. Thanks for hopping on Inside Sports. Yeah,
3: thank you so much for this opportunity. That is
0: Ashley Turner. Panda's soccer goalkeeper as she was telling you she is Métis and she gives her perspective on uh, National Day for Truth and Reconciliation and some of the initiatives she's been taking in her life and we have Chief Willie Littlechild on the show between 6:30 and 7 he was an incredible interview as we reflect on the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation on the scoreboard well the Blue Jays in tough here bottom of the eighth they are trailing the Yankees 5-2. They do have a runner on second with nobody else, so they need to get something going there. Um, the Orioles have beaten the Red Sox, so if the Blue Jays could rally, uh, they would tie the Red Sox for the wa- final wildcard spot. Seattle in there as well. They are not playing today. In the National Football League, it's halftime. It's 0-3 Jacksonville leading 2-1 Cincinnati. That one is at the half. All right, so Oilers hockey coming up tomorrow. 6 o'clock face-off show. The game is at 8 as they play the Seattle Kraken in Everett, Washington. Oilers now with Bob Stauffer from noon to 2 tomorrow. I think Brendan Escott is hosting that while Bob travels to Everett. And then another game on Saturday. Oilers home to the Jets. 3.30 face-off show game at 5 at Rogers Place that one on Saturday. Thanks to the producer of Inside Sports Dave Campbell. Thanks to our studio producer this evening Angie quinnell My name's Reed. Thanks for listening. Have a great night.
1: 6:30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6:30 Chad.